Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Shreveport Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to the book of Galatians tonight, and I want to share with you out of Galatians. Man, Galatians is a powerful, powerful book on the gospel. And I mean, it just attacks religion. Most people don't care that much for the book of Galatians or they don't relate to it. They don't understand it because it, if people believe this, it would totally, totally change the way most churches operate today. Most churches do not operate in the grace of God. And again, I'm not against the church at all. I'm saying that, man, the church is God's messenger. It's His institution here on this earth. But not every church that calls itself Christian is truly representing God. There's a lot of misrepresentation of God today and uh, the true gospel is beginning to get out. So let's read here in Galatians chapter 1 in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, the true gospel is totally miraculous. It is dependent upon Jesus being raised from the dead. The church was conceived in miracles. It is totally miraculous. And today, if you aren't seeing the supernatural, the miraculous in your life, then it's superficial instead of supernatural. We need to be living in the supernatural. Our whole relationship was birthed in the supernatural. God raised Jesus from the dead. And in verse 2 it says, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and of our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What I was wanting to point out here as he started into this book and just gave them a greeting, he said that God gave himself for our sins. Why? Did you know that the average person today would, be, would say, so that we could be saved and we could go to heaven instead of to hell? That is basically the message that the church has been putting forth. That the reason that Jesus came was to forgive us of our sins so that we would go to heaven and not to hell. And you know what? I do believe that that is a huge, huge benefit. I've had three people in the last week. close friend, One of them was my very best friend when I was a, uh, in grade school. And two others are Bible college students and graduates. And I've had three people die in the last three weeks and had to do their funerals and stuff. And... You know what? It is super that we don't have to grieve the way that other people do and that, man, death has lost its sting and that we are going to live forever in eternity. And I am not trying to diminish that at all, but I'm saying that by the church saying that this is the purpose of salvation is to get saved so that you don't go to hell, but instead you go to heaven, that has totally gutted what Jesus came to do. Now, it's true that that is a part of it, and that is a wonderful part of it. But this verse, and there's many, many others, says that Jesus gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world. From this present evil world and everything that is evil in this present world. 
Jesus died to set us free right now. And because we've been telling people, believe on Jesus so that you won't go to hell, but instead you'll go to heaven. You know, that is a truth, but most people are living in so much hell right now. They're, de they're dealing with sickness. They're dealing with marriages that fail. They deal with financial problems, broken relationships, and on and on. Most people are just suffering so much right now that they aren't thinking about eternity. They should be, but they aren't. And because of it, people are ignoring the church in, in droves by the thousands, by the millions. They aren't listening to the message. And one of the reasons is because it's all pie in the sky by and by, basically is what the church is preaching. It doesn't relate to the average person where they are. But this says Jesus died to give us freedom in this present evil world. It's not just pie in the sky by and by, but it's steak on the plate while you wait. Amen. <laughs> we should be living in victory right now. And one of the reasons that Jesus made such a huge impact is because, of course he talked about heaven, but did you know he didn't talk about heaven as much as he talked about finances? I know many of you don't like to hear that. Most people think that, you know, Christianity, if, if God's behind something, it just works supernaturally and you don't ever mention finances. Jesus taught on finances more than he taught on heaven or hell. Jesus used healing like a bell that drew people to him. He went everywhere and the crowds came because they saw the miracles, because they saw that Jesus was meeting the needs of people and they saw the relevance of Jesus to their everyday life. And then the fact that you get heaven too, man, that's like icing on the cake. That's wonderful. And I'm not denying any of those truths, but I'm saying that the church has basically gutted the gospel to where it doesn't apply to us right now. There are people sitting right here in this room that you've been brought up in church and you've heard about church and yet it's all about when we all get to heaven. What a day that'll be. Farther along, we'll know all about it. In the sweet by and by, but in the rough now and now, you're just hanging on and you're just tying a knot and hanging on and hoping that you can make it until you get to go to heaven. And we sing songs about... I'm just a poor wayfarer and a pilgrim trudging through the world below and we sing all of these songs. I'm telling you, that is not Christianity. Now that is Christianity as it exists, but that is not the Christianity that God intended. He gave himself for our sins to set you free from this present evil world, to set you free from sickness, from disease, from poverty. There is... I know some of you are probably going to get upset with some of the things I say. That's okay. I'm leaving. I'm gone tomorrow. I just don't really care. I'm going to tell you the truth, not because I'm mad at you. It's because I love you and I'm trying to, you know, sometimes you got to terrify people before you can get a fine. And I'm telling you that w there are people today that have embraced pain and suffering as being from God. And they, the church... Again, I'm not saying all of the church, but a large segment of the church, too much of the church is preaching that God is the one that makes your life miserable. That God's the one that puts sickness on you. That God is the one who is causing these problems. That God is doing all of these things. Man, God's will for you is good. God is not the one who is terrorizing you. He is not the one that's causing problems in your life. If you've got problems in your life, it is not God who did it to you. Amen.
That deserves a praise the Lord. That's good news. You know, at these funerals, matter of fact, I watched Billy Graham's uh, thing that came on last week. I thought that was awesome. 95 years old, still preaching the gospel and saying things that are politically incorrect today, but he was saying it. I loved it. But on there, there was two testimonies that they interwove among his preaching and things. And one of them was about a girl who, uh, when she was a little girl, her cousin died. And when this cousin died, she had prayed for him to be healed. And when he wasn't healed, she got mad at God and went away and she lived a terrible life, got into terrible things, and yet came back to the Lord, was miraculously saved. And she was talking about how that the Lord had changed her life and that was good. But you know, as she talked about that, I see this during these three funerals that I've been part of in the last week and or 10 days. You know, this is, there were people there saying, why did this happen? Why did God allow this? People just automatically think that God controls everything that happens. And yet the Bible makes it very clear. The Lord told us not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when we did, we would die. They didn't die physically at that moment, but they died spiritually at that moment. And their body eventually died. But we are the ones that started death. We are the ones that ushered this in. God does not look around and when a person dies, their number was up. God took them. That's not how it happens. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not the way that God intended it to be. God never intended animals to kill each other and eat each other. They were originally all herbivores instead of carnivores. God originally didn't intend bacterias and virus and things to do the things that they do today. It, we live in a corrupted, fallen world that God didn't create it to be this way. He created us to live forever. Adam and Eve lived for 930 years. Methuselah lived 969 years. It was never God's will for man to die. God didn't start all of this. And yet people just routinely, if a person dies, I wonder why God let this happen. Especially if that person was praying for healing. They just assume that it's God that let these kind of things happen. I'm telling you on the authority of God's word that Jesus died to produce healing in your body, prosperity for you, deliverance, joy and peace and all of these things to set you free from all of this corruption that is in this world. Jesus died to do that. And did you know by me saying this, I don't know exactly what this crowd is like, but I suspect that many, many, many of you go to church and are religious. And did you know what? Unbelievers will never fight me over what I'm saying. They think, man, this is great news. And they just receive and they get set free. But religious people hate this. There's some of you sitting right there that really are not enjoying what I'm saying. <laughs> and it's because the way you've adjusted to the lack of power, to the sickness, the disease, the hurt, the pain, the shame, the way that you cope is to blame it on God and say, God, you know, further along, we'll know all about it. You know, God's ways aren't our ways. God just moves in mysterious ways. And we've come up with all of these things to cope and to blame God for all of the junk that's going on in this world. I'm telling you that that is wrong. That is not right. And that is not accurately representing God. God is not the source of this. 
If you study the scriptures, and I haven't got time to turn to every one of them. I'm giving you a, a huge overview of some things. But if you study the scriptures, Jesus, it says in uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And you know, in the Greek, that word all, that means all. It means he healed all that were oppressed of the devil, not oppressed of God. Today, the church is saying, well, God is the one who makes you sick. And if they don't say God did it, well, then they'll say God allows it. That God is sovereign. Nothing can happen but what God allows it. That is not true. Amen. That's right. I can tell many of you really didn't care for that one either. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, in the Greek, that word all means all, that all should come to repentance. That scripture says just as clear as it can possibly be that it is God's will for every single person to be saved. And yet not every person is saved. Matter of fact, Jesus said that there would be more than enter by the broad gate unto destruction than there are by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. So Jesus himself said this isn't coming to pass. And yet this verse says that it is God's will for all to come to repentance and to be saved. So God's will obviously does not come to pass. God does not control everything like a chess piece and make everything happen. We have an adversary out there. There are people that are dying today and it's not God who pulled their number that their number was up. It is not God's will that people overdose and die of that. It is not God's will that people eat themselves to death. It is not God's will that people smoke and get emphysema and lung disease and cancer and die. God isn't doing all of this stuff. God is not the one that's killing us. We live in a fallen world and eventually all of us, unless Jesus comes back it, real quickly, all of us are going to die just because this is a hostile environment. God didn't create us to live like this. You know, I had not got time to explain this fully, but this world as it exists right now is not the way that God created it to be. At the uh, flood, the earth, uh, the, the fountains of the deep were opened up this whole world changed. The mountains and all of these things that are beautiful and it's still awesome. Did you know that this wasn't a part of God's original creation? And the canopy that surrounded this earth that protected us from the sun and stuff, it changed. And right after the flood is when people started going from 960 years down to a Abraham, just 140 something years after the flood, Abraham was born and he lived to be 175 and he was an old man. And then when Moses came along, Moses said that a man's years will be three score years and 10, 70 years old. That happened after the flood. This environment, this world that we live in is not the original creation. It has been corrupted and it's a hostile environment. It's just like you can put man into outer space and you know what? They can live for a period of time. We've had people that have lived for months up in outer space. But they have to have all of these things and they can't live up there forever. And once the oxygen runs out or something, you know what? 
It, you just weren't made to live in outer space. You aren't made to live underwater and yet we can go underwater and we can make subs and do things, but you know what? You can't live there forever. It's a artificial environment. This is not the way that God created things to be and because of it, people die. Because of it, animals kill each other. Because of it, bacteria and viruses kill people and do things. This is not the way God intended it to be. And so God is not the one that's controlling every sickness, every pain, all of these problems. God isn't doing these things. He's not putting sickness on people. He came to deliver us from this present evil world. But it's not automatic. It comes through faith. Jesus told many people, according to your faith, so be it done unto you. In the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, Jesus went into his hometown. And it says there that the people rejected him and said, isn't this the carpenter's son? First of all, they were wrong there. He wasn't the carpenter's son, amen. He was the son of God. He just happened to be born to Mary and they assumed that Joseph was his father, but they totally missed it. They were assuming the wrong thing, just like many people today assume that God is the one that's causing all of this. We're the ones that cause these problems. But they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his brother and his sister? And they named all of them. And then it says in Mark chapter six, verse five, it says that Jesus could do no mighty works there save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. It didn't say he wouldn't do it. It said he couldn't do it. Now Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Jesus had no problems in himself. He was operating in faith 100%. He was flowing in the power of God and yet the unbelief of people, the rejection of people kept Jesus from doing what he wanted to do. It didn't say he wouldn't do any mighty works. It says he couldn't do them because of their unbelief. Now I'm putting that together with Matthew chapter 13 verse 58 where it quotes the exact same scripture but in Matthew chapter 13 58 it says he marveled because of their unbelief. So you put all of this together. It was their unbelief and rejection of him that stopped him from producing the healing. Just because a person prays today and asks God to heal them does not mean they're going to get healed because God has already done his part. The Lord has already died to deliver us from this present evil world. You know, I'm saying so many things right now. If you're, if you're new to this ministry, it's like what? planet have you come from? I know some of you are thinking, I've never heard anything like this, obviously. But you know what? Jesus, he gave us, he, he died. He broke the dominion of sin. He set us free from the wages of sin, which is not only physical death, it's spiritual death, it's emotional death, it's financial death. It's all kind, anything that came as a result of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. Anything that came as a result of sin, Jesus died to set us free from that. And you do not have to have all of these things, but it doesn't come to pass automatically. You have to believe in order to receive. If you doubt, you do without. And the sad fact is, that the church is one of the main propagators of this doctrine that, oh, you can't believe for healing. God may want you to be sick. God is trying to teach you something. This glorifies God. God is sovereign and nothing happens without God's control. 
That is not what the Word of God teaches. I've already given you one example. People are going to hell and Jesus said it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can't find one example in the Bible of Jesus making any person sick. Now, if Jesus said, I came to magnify my Father and to represent Him, He said in uh, John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And yet Jesus never made a person sick. Jesus never refused to heal a person. There's this one instance where people refused to receive the healing and He couldn't minister healing to them because of their unbelief. But Jesus was anointed with power and He went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil, all who would receive it. There isn't a single instance of Jesus making anybody sick, refusing to heal anybody, saying that I'm going to bless you with a sickness to make you better. And this is what the church is teaching today, that if you want to pray for patience, it's tribulation that works patience. That is a scripture in James chapter 1, but it didn't say tribulation, that God gives you tribulation to make patience. It's just saying that once you put your faith into practice against some problem, you are going to be made stronger, but it is not God who sent the problem. Man, they, they have just brought things out of scripture that aren't there. You know, I was drafted and I was sent to Vietnam and they taught us how to fight. They taught us how to do all kinds of things, to throw hand grenades, to fire uh, 79 grenade launchers. And they taught us to do all of this stuff for the purpose of fighting. But did you know people, just because they went through a class did not mean they were a good soldier. You get tempered when you go into battle. Like when I was in Vietnam, uh, we had jokes about people that they were new in country. And boy, you just didn't trust somebody who was brand new in Vietnam because they were dangerous. They had a lot of knowledge, but no experience. I remember one time we were sitting around and we were getting ready to eat our sea rations. And there was this new guy that had, this was the first day he had been out on a fire support base. We were out where there was a lot of fighting and stuff. And, uh, and we had boxes and boxes of hand grenades, and uh, M16, Claymore mines, all of these kind of things. And we had one minute every night on Bunker Guard where we would just open up and shoot down the hill, throw hand grenades and do this stuff. And if anybody was coming up outside of our perimeter, it would kill them. And that's one of the ways we pulled Bunker Guard. For one minute, every hour, you just shot stuff and threw things. And, and that's the way we pulled Bunker Guard. And anyway, this guy... It was his first night uh, in Vietnam out on a fire support base and he was just excited like, man, can I shoot my M16 anytime I want to? I said, anytime you want to. Can I throw a hand grenade? Well, sure. And he was just like, really? And so he was all excited. So anyway, we were sitting around eating our sea rations and this guy wanted to throw a hand grenade. And so he said, throw one. So anyway, he got this hand grenade and he pulled the pin on this hand grenade and it was stuck. And when he pulled it, the hand grenade rolled out of his hand and rolled right down in between my feet. <laughs> and I threw my sea rations in the air and I jumped over this rock and got behind this rock. 
uh, waiting on that thing to go off and it never went off. And anyway, we, I was trained with the hand grenades that they used in Korea in World War II, the pineapple hand grenades. This was a new one, a baseball hand grenade and it had a safety on it. I'd never seen a hand grenade with the safety. So it didn't go off because he hadn't removed the safety. So we just took the safety off through it and it was okay. But anyway, what I'm saying is that see, that's what a new guy does. And man, they, they had some knowledge, but they're dangerous until they get out there and put it to practice. So it is true that when a person takes this training and begins to apply it, they become a better soldier. But if that soldier went out there and saw the enemy coming and he said, oh, you're sent to help make me a better soldier. And if he had run out and tried to embrace the enemy, he'd have been killed. There, there is no doubt that fighting an enemy, if you win, you become better because of it. But to embrace the enemy and think that your government sent the enemy to help make you a better soldier is totally wrong. So there is no doubt that when you go through some things and you put your faith to work, you're going to be stronger because of it. I agree with that, but I disagree with the fact of saying God sent this trial to make you better. God made you sick to make you better and it's working some redemptive purpose. No, the Bible says Satan is the one that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. That Satan comes with afflictions and persecutions to steal away the word. Satan is the one who is fighting us with things. And the sad fact is the church has made most of the body of Christ embrace their problems as being from God instead of from the devil. James chapter 4 verse 7 is a pivotal scripture in the Bible. And that verse says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That verse says two really important things. The first one is that submit to the things that are of God. And then the second one is resist the things that are from the devil. How in the world can you believe that God is controlling everything when it says you submit to the things that are of God and you resist the things that are of the devil? With the modern theology that most people have saying that God controls everything, nothing can happen but what God either makes it happen or allows it to happen. If you believe that, well, then what is the purpose in resisting anything? Because ultimately everything comes from God. That's inconsistent. I'm telling you, God is not the one causing your problems. Some things are from God. Some things are from the devil. You submit yourself to the things that are from God and you resist the devil. And if you don't resist the devil, he won't flee because it didn't say that the devil flees from God. He flees from you. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. I just got an email from our South Africa office last night and this one partner of ours has all kinds of physical problems. I mean, major, major physical problems. And they've been going and they've had people cast the demons out. And he said all of his physical problems left. And then the next day, they're all back. And he's now done this six or seven or, or more times. But he was coming to me and he says, I need you to pray because they leave, but then they come back and would you please pray? And he's acting like he has no power over that. The Bible says you resist the devil. And I wrote him back and I said, all of this is happening because you do not understand your authority. 
I said, I might understand a person going to somebody else to help them pray over it and break something when they're immature and getting started and stuff. But for you to just live off of other people praying over you and rebuking things is incorrect. And I said, you do not understand your authority. Satan cannot be doing to you what he's doing without your consent and cooperation. And that's not only true of him, that's true of all of us. Satan is the one who's coming against us. And one of the ways that we submit to him, we don't do it intentionally, but one of the ways we submit is to say, oh God, I know that this has some purpose. I know that, that you know, you're working all things together for good to them that love the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That's a scripture. But it did not say that God gives everything, that it all comes from God. It just simply is saying that God can work it together for good. You know, Carly down here, her daughter, Hannah, was healed. God did not make Hannah sick. God did not nearly kill Hannah. But because they grabbed hold of the truth, because they believed God, their little daughter, seven years later, is totally healthy totally healed. It turned Ashley and Carly's life around. Not only them, but both sets of grandparents. They all came to Bible school. They all lost, left their jobs. They all left their houses. They moved. They've come. Now Ashley and Carly are working in our ministry here in the States. Their parents are working in our ministry over in the UK. And you know what? It's worked together for good. And Carly has seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed. It worked together for good, but God didn't cause that. If you really believe God's one making you sick, then you're a hypocrite to take medicine and go to a doctor. If God's making you sick, why are you trying to get out of God's will? Why don't you just let it run its full course? Why are you trying to short circuit what God's wanting to do? If God's trying to teach you something, well then learn. This doesn't make sense, brothers and sisters. Religion is crazy. Religion will mess you up. I'm telling you, God is not the one who's giving you problems. Jesus died so that you could be set free from this present evil world. Jesus bore your stripes on his back so that you would never have to have sickness. You do not have to be sick. You do not have to get sick every flu season. I had one woman come up tonight and said that she had the flu and she hoped she wasn't contagious and it wouldn't bother me. And I said, you won't bother me because I don't get sick. I don't believe in being sick. And some of you think, oh man, who do you think you are? I'm nobody in myself, but I've got God Almighty living on the inside of me. And I've got promises in... Uh, Psalms chapter 91, that no plague is going to come nigh my dwelling. A thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come nigh me. Only with my eyes will I behold and see the reward of the wicked. And I know some of you are thinking, well, how come that doesn't work for everybody? Because the first two verses say that I will say of the Lord, He is my rock and my shelter, my fortress. If you don't say it, if you don't believe it, if you don't speak it, all of the power of God is voice activated. And if you don't speak forth these things, it won't work. 
And there's a lot of you that when somebody comes up and says, well, how are you doing? Oh man, my rheumatism is killing me. I hurt. Let me tell you what the doctor says. And you just spew out everything wrong. Deuteronomy, or excuse me, um, Psalms chap, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. Death and life, not only life, but death also. You can either speak life or you can speak death. And the sad fact is most people are speaking what they have instead of having what they say. That's what it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. We have the power to use our tongue like a weapon and speak forth faith and resist the devil and we can have what we say. But instead, most people are saying what they already have. They're speaking death. They're hung by their tongue. They don't know the difference. I know some of you are thinking, I'm weird. Well, I think you're weird. I think you're weird for having this power in your tongue. And if somebody asks you how you are, you just spew out all of the junk. You say every rotten thing. You talk about how depressed you are, how worried you are. And you wonder why you're having problems. I'm telling you, Jesus died to set you free from this present evil world, but it doesn't work automatically. You have to get into gear. You have to believe God. You have to go to agreeing with God. You need to go to speaking forth the word of God. In Ephesians chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath, past tense, already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible says you are blessed, but the average person, you say, how are you? Oh man, it's bad. It's bad. And you don't know what you're doing, but you are deactivating the power of God. You are stopping the power of God by speaking forth your hurt and your pain and what you feel and what the doctor said and what the banker said instead of what God's word says. What you need to do is when somebody says, how are you? You say, well, let me look. And you look in Ephesians chapter one, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. If you ask me how I am, I always say I'm blessed. And I'll have students come up to me and they say, oh, but I know you, I knew you were going to say that, but I want to know how you really are. And I tell them I'm really blessed. <laughs> And they'll say, but we know you've got problems. We've seen this. I want to know how you feel. How I feel isn't important. It's what I believe that's important. I'm not any different than anybody else. I have bad things happen to me. You know, I had my, I had my son die. I was called at 4.15 in the morning. My oldest son told me that my youngest son had died. And I said, how did he die? And he told me, and I said, well, the first report's not the last report. Don't let anybody touch him till I get there. And it took us an hour and 15 minutes to get up and to drive into town. And this is back before we had cell phones and stuff. And so I didn't know, but you know, I started having feelings just like anybody else. But praise God for the word of God. Praise God that the Lord taught us his word. And Jamie and I were smart enough not to say what we felt. I was, gonna, I was refusing to say what I felt. I felt discouragement. I felt grief. I felt sorrow. I felt confusion because 
we certainly weren't believing that my son was going to die at 21 years old. And we were believing for different things. And so I felt the same thing that anybody else had felt. But you know what? I, instead of going by what I felt, I went by what I believed. And I started speaking the Word of God. And it's a long story, but the long and short of it is that my son, after being dead for five hours in a morgue, stripped naked with a toe tag on, sat up and started talking, raised from the dead. And there was no brain damage, no more than he had before, praise God. And today, we, he, he's not only alive and doing well, but I've got a granddaughter that was born a year later. And you know what? All of that happened because Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil world. And there's some people that when I say something like this, they've lost somebody close to them. And the way they'll respond to this is to say, so you're saying it was our fault. You're condemning me. And they get mad and say, I'm condemning. I'm not condemning anybody, but I'm telling you, it's not God who kills people. I'm telling you, it's not God who causes these kind of things. Does this mean that every person's going to be raised from the dead, that every person's going to be healed? It means that it's God's will for it to happen, but you have to cooperate. And you know what? The person that's received, people say, well, it didn't take any faith on your son's part. How do you know? See, you're making an assumption. You're saying, but they were dead. They couldn't do anything. Just because a person's dead doesn't mean that they don't have a choice. They haven't ceased to live. They're still alive. I tell you, we just assume so many weird things. You know, in the seventh, I think it's the seventh chapter of the book of John. I'd have to look this up. But it talks about Jesus going to the city of Nain and there was a widow that was uh, having a funeral for her son. And Jesus saw the people mourning and wailing and he walked up to the mother of this child and said, weep not. Now, if he wanted her to quit weeping, why didn't he just go raise her son from the dead? Wouldn't that have stopped her from weeping? Why did, why did he tell her not to weep? Isn't this unreasonable? Did you know today, again, in our culture, in our religious culture, if you were to stand there, somebody weeping, and you went up and said, don't weep, I guarantee you, the religious people would crucify you. They'd kill you. You're insensitive. You aren't feeling other people's hurt. And you're doing all of these things. Jesus went up and told a woman whose only son was being buried to not weep. Why did he do that? Because he needed somebody to operate in faith. That's the reason he did it. You know, I, most of you don't understand all of this or may not have studied this, but in the Jewish culture, they actually hired mourners to come and weep and wail. You can see that when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead because there were people there mourning. They were professional mourners that this is how they made their living to go to places and wail and travail. You can still see this in the uh, Arab countries. If you see somebody you know, killed and they show a funeral procession, the women will just be, I mean, screaming and crying. That's the way that they show grief. And you are not respecting the dead if you don't mourn and wail and travail. That's the way it was in Jesus' time. And for him to go up to the mother 
of a boy, the only son who was being buried and to tell her not to weep, it was an insult. It was disrespect. And I don't know if you've ever tried to raise people from the dead at a funeral. I have. I actually got kidnapped one time because a boy died. He, he was, um, you know, it's a long story, but he was healed, went to the Mayo Clinic and they said he was totally healed. And then later he went on a 47 day fast and broke his fast by eating steak and french fries and it killed him. He died. But he told everybody that if he ever died, that I was going to raise him from the dead. Because we had seen a man raised from the dead in my church in Pritchett, Colorado. And so he told everybody, if I die, Andrew's going to raise me from the dead. I didn't say that. But that's what he told everybody. So when he died, it was a little tiny place. Um, anyways, long story. But there was hundreds of people there. About 400 of them were people from our Bible studies. And they all came to see this boy raised from the dead because he told everybody, I was going to raise him from the dead. And so I went down there and I had to spend the night because it was so remote. It was down in the very northern part of, North, of uh, New Mexico. And I stayed in a home that you had to go a mile down a dirt road to get to the main dirt road. And it was 60 miles down a dirt road to the closest town where this funeral was being held. So anyway, uh, his aunt great aunt came to pick us up and instead of turning left to go to the town, she turned right and went the other way. And she was just crying uncontrollably. And we said, what are you doing? And then she drove out in the pasture and took her keys and threw them out the window. And we said, what are you doing? And it turns out that this boy's grandmother hated me and she did not want me ruining their funeral and coming there and praying over this boy and trying to raise him from the dead. So she threatened to disinherit her sister if she didn't kidnap me and keep me from coming to the funeral. So I got kidnapped and missed the funeral because I, was, I didn't even do anything. And they were afraid that I'd try and pray over him and get him raised from the dead. So anyway, what I'm saying is, I know that people take their grief seriously and they don't want anybody messing with their grief. And this culture was worse than ours. And for Jesus to go up to this woman and to say, weep not. Did you know if she hadn't have responded to him positively, we don't know if she had already heard of Jesus and recognized who he was and maybe hope rose. Or maybe it was just the way that he spoke to her and the Holy Spirit quickened. I don't know exactly how it happened. But this woman responded to Jesus positively. Or I can guarantee you there would have been people there trying to stone Jesus and stop him. The reason he went and talked to her is because even in a situation of raising somebody from the dead, somebody has to be believing God. God's will does not just come to pass automatically. Somebody has to stand and believe God. And by me saying this, I know that there's people right here in this room saying, well, you're condemning, you're saying that it's my fault that things aren't working. Yep, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Amen. And I know that it's convenient theology just to, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And God, we ask you to heal if it be your will. That's a stupid prayer. It's a stupid prayer. You may be sincere, but it is a stupid prayer. When the Bible says that I wish, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, I wish above all things 
that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. 1 Peter 2, 24, him himself gave, who he, uh, how's that go? 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. When the Bible says it's already done, he went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. I wish above all things that you be in health. And then you say, God, if it's your will, that's just an insult. That's like me saying, I want to bless you. I'm going to give you the keys to my car. You can have my car. And then you come up and said, would you let me have your car if it be your will? You know what that is? You didn't believe me. You think I'd lie to you. You think I'd say one thing and do another. If you don't know God's will, then what you need to do is pray James chapter 1, verse 5. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. He that wavers is like a wave of the sea. Let not that man think that he's going to receive anything of the Lord. If you don't know what God's will is, pray and say, God, give me wisdom and he'll show you. And then once you know what God's will is, then you pray it. But if it's already revealed in the Bible, you don't have to even say, if it be your will. Jesus never refused to heal a single person. He never put sickness on a single person. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he is the express image of God. The express image. That means a perfect representation. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. Jesus gave us the perfect representation of God. And I guarantee you He never put sickness on a person. He never refused to heal. He went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He showed us the goodness of God. And religion is misrepresenting God and misrepresenting how He's acting. I'm telling you, God wants to set you free from this present evil world. God wants to give you joy and peace and victory. And the truth is He's already done it. But this power is in you. It's not out there. Again, see, religion has given us this concept that God is way out there and if you will pray and if you will fast and if that won't work, well then call the prayer chain and get a hundred people working on Him and maybe we can put enough pressure on God that we can force God to do something. I had a couple of people tonight that asked me to pray for something. I said, there's no need to pray for this. I said, God wants you well more than you want to be well. Well, would you pray that this person would be saved? I said, God wants them to be saved more than you want them to be saved. But see, we think that God is up there with his arms folded saying, I'm not going to move until you pray harder. You got to get a thousand people to pray. You fast, get more desperate. And we think that God is the one that's holding all things back. God is not like that. God's got his arms open trying to release his power. But he's saying, will somebody believe Will somebody stand up and go to speaking that I want to bless them instead of curse them and make them sick? Will somebody resist the devil and fight against him instead of asking me to resist the devil? Will somebody stand up and take their authority and command that things happen instead of begging me to do what I told you to do? Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 says, you go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. He told you to heal them. He didn't tell you to ask God to heal the sick. I know some of you are thinking, oh man, you arrogant thing. You think you can heal the sick. You know, I'm nothing. 
I can't heal a gnat in just myself, but I am not just in myself. There's a scripture in John chapter 15, I think it's verse 5, and it's, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And you know what? I agree with that 100%. Without Jesus, I am a zero with the rim knocked off. I'm nothing. But you know what? I'm never without Jesus. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. So for me to say, oh, I am nothing. I can do nothing. Oh God, would you please move? I am already in unbelief. I have people come to me all the time and they tell me how pitiful their situation is. They're just crying and tell me, they're trying to impress me with how desperate their situation is and I can do nothing. The doctor says, I'm going to die. Would you please pray for me? Would you agree with me? And I said, no way am I agreeing with you. If I agree with you, you're going to die. <laughs> I can have compassion on you, but I do not have pity on you because you are the ones with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. You have this power. And if you aren't seeing deliverance, it's not God who hasn't given. It's you that's not releasing what God has already placed on the inside of you. And here again is another major area that the body of Christ has been lied to and deceived. We think I'm nothing. Well, if you're just talking about my flesh, my flesh is nothing, but I am not only flesh. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I have God living on the inside of me. And I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. And Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. And I've got power on the inside of me. And for me to sit here and say, I am nothing and I, I have nothing and I can do nothing, you've already contradicted what Jesus said about you. You're already in violation of the word. You're standing in unbelief instead of in faith. Well, this is true though. Well, it's true of your physical self, but it's not true of your born again self. Your born again spirit man is as powerful and righteous as Jesus is. Jesus died to set you free and he put on the inside of every one of us a supernatural dynamo that is able to raise the dead, open up blinded eyes, to rebuke the devil, to operate in joy and peace. And this is not just for the preachers. It's not for the super saints. This is for every Jane Blow and Joe Doe Christian. Every one of you, if you are born again, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I'm trying to stir you up. If I don't stir you up, you're going to settle to the bottom. And that's right where most people live. They live on this low plane because the way they adjust it with problems is just to say, well, it must be God's will. God, if it be your will, you just throw your prayer out there and if something happens, well then thank you, Jesus. And if nothing happens, well, we don't know. God works in mysterious ways. I'm telling you, it's not God that's making nothing happen. It's our doubt and our unbelief and our lack of taking authority and standing in who we are that's causing you to be beat up. And if you would go to resisting the devil and fighting against him, then you could see miraculous results. You know, I had a woman come. I'm going to have to eventually quit. This is an unending subject. I never finish. I just quit. And uh, I can keep talking forever. But I had a woman come to me and... Uh, 
They had seen one of my videos about a girl named Nikki Oshinsky that was raised up off her deathbed, and it was just an awesome, awesome testimony. We've got four Healing Journeys uh, videos out there with five testimonies on each of these four. There's a total of 20 testimonies of people being raised from the dead and just miraculous things, multiple sclerosis being healed and all kinds of things. And uh, anyway, she saw one of these videos. She shared it with her friend, and her friend came over to get prayer. And so this woman walked in. She was a Presbyterian lady. And she walked in and she says, I know God can heal. And I said, it doesn't do you any good to know God can heal. It says, faith is believing that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews eleven six. You got to do more than just believe He can do it. The devil believes that. You got to believe He will do it, that He has done it. And she says, well, He's getting glory out of this sickness. And God, you know, has allowed this to help perfect me. And I said, that right there is one of the reasons that you're sick. So I began to start teaching her some of the things that I've talked about here tonight. And I said, no, God did not do this. And I showed her scriptures that it's His will that you be well and that by His stripes you were healed, etc. And then I taught her about her authority. And I used uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 23 that says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain... Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And I said, Jesus taught us that you have to speak to your problem. You have to talk to the mountain. I said, most people talk to God about their mountain instead of talking to their mountain about God. The mountain is your problem. Jesus said, you speak to the problem. And implied in that is that you have power and authority because you don't talk to God. He never did say pray and ask God to remove your mountain. He said you speak to the mountain and it will be removed if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that the things which you say will come to pass. And so I taught her these things. And anyway, over a period of 25, 30 minutes, I just countered nearly everything this woman believed she had had pain for seven years. The doctor said that on a scale of one to 10, her pain was a constant 11. And the only way she survived, she had magnets taped all over her body and then she had a blanket wrapped around her with magnets in it and somehow the magnetic field lessened her pain. But she was basically just invalid. She couldn't do anything. And so I told her all of these things, countered it, and I said, I'm gonna pray for you. And so... I sat on a table because she couldn't move. She was sitting in this real comfortable chair and I sat on a table and grabbed her hands and I took my authority and I spoke to the pain and I commanded pain to leave this woman and spoke to it. And I said, how are you? And she moved around and then she, she stood up and she took this blanket off and she says, man, I don't have any pain. First time in over seven years she had been without pain. You know, I prayed with a woman out here tonight that had had arthritis for 14 years. 14 years. And I prayed with her and boom, like that. She's totally pain-free. Is that lady in here? Where are you? You were here earlier. Right here. You doing good? Had pain for 14 years. And now it's gone. And anyway, I prayed with her and she says... And so she was standing up and she says, no pain. And she says, but I've got this burning right here in my back, right where her waist was. 
And she says, why do I have burning? I said, you didn't tell me you had a burning. You told me you had pain. I spoke to pain. I said, watch this. And then I spoke to burning and I commanded it to leave her and boom, it was gone. And so I taught her some of the same things. And I said, specifically, you have to talk to your man. You have to recognize that it's not up to God whether you get healed. It's up to you whether you are going to believe that God has done his part and he's put this power on the inside of you. And you have to speak. You have to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I taught this woman these things. So about 20 minutes later, 45 minutes after she first came in, this woman was getting ready to leave and she put her hand on the doorknob. And the moment she did, she just stopped. She looked over her shoulder and she says, the burning is back. And I said, well, I've been teaching you how to do this. I said, I'm not going to pray for you. And I joined hands and I said, you pray and I'll agree with you. And so this woman, she started praying. And this is nearly word for word what she said. She said, Father, I thank you that you did not make me sick. It is not your will for me to be sick. But instead, it, by your stripes, I was healed. I believe I'm healed. I claim my healing in the name of Jesus. Did you know that that is not a good prayer? <laughs> now, it's good things that she said. There's nothing wrong with what she said. That's better than blaming God. It was all good things that she said, but it wasn't what the scripture says you're supposed to do. Just saying, Father, thank you. I claim my healing. Oh, please heal me. That's not going to get you well. And so after she got through, I looked at her and I said, so do you still have the burning? And she said, yes. Why do I still have the burning? I said, because you didn't do what the word taught you to do. And she says, well, what am I supposed to do? And I said, it says you are supposed to say to the mountain, you are supposed to take your authority and speak and rebuke this and make that stuff leave you. And she says, you mean I'm supposed to say burning in the name of Jesus? I said, yes. And she says, I'll do it. So I joined hands with her again and she started praying and she said, burning in the name of Jesus. And that's as far as she got. And she says, it's gone. <laughs> And you know, that was in 2001 and this woman is still free today from that problem and set free. But that is a classic example. There are many of you who believe God can do anything. You don't believe he has done it, but you believe he could do it. What you've got to do is recognize God has already delivered you from this present evil world. He put the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not out there somewhere and you have to pray it down. It's in here. People will say that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. We got to open up a hole over Shreveport through intercession and so our prayers can get up to God. I bet you some of you have heard that teaching that there's demonic powers blocking our prayers from getting up to Him. We have to have an open heaven you don't need an open heaven. God isn't in heaven anymore. He's living on the inside of you. God's right here. This is the reason that you bow your head when you pray so you can look at God. <laughs> Say, Father, this whole religious thing about your prayers getting up past the heavens, that was true in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 10, but that's before God rent the heavens. Isaiah chapter 64 says, rend the heavens and come down, O God. It was appropriate to play that in the Old Testament because he hadn't rent the heavens yet. 
but he rent the heavens through Jesus. He came down and now he lives on the inside of you. And for you to pray, oh God, rend the heavens. For you to pray what, I, what David prayed in Psalms chapter 51, where it says, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Create in me a clean heart. You don't pray that way. Because God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you get born again, I will give you a new heart. We don't pray the way that David prayed. You now have God living on the inside of you and you need to recognize what you've got and begin to start using your authority and resisting the devil and he will flee from you. Man, I've covered a lot of stuff tonight, but I'm just basically trying to say that God's done his part. And he's put the same power that raised Jesus from the dead on the inside of you. And the only reason we aren't seeing it is because we aren't accepting our position in Christ. We aren't accepting our authority. And so we're begging God as if he's done nothing. And we're saying, oh God, would you please heal me? He said, you heal the sick. There is not a single command in the New Testament for us to heal. I mean, to pray for the sick. There are examples of praying for the sick. It says in James chapter five, if anybody's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick. It did mention prayer. There's nothing wrong with prayer, but you are not commanded to pray for the sick. You're commanded to heal the sick. Matthew chapter 10, verse eight. Most people, well, I can't do that. You in yourself can't do it, but through Christ, you can do all things. And I'm telling you, God gave you power and authority. And if you aren't seeing that power and authority manifest, it's not because you haven't begged enough. It's not because you aren't living holy enough. It's not because you haven't fasted and you haven't called the prayer chain. It's because you don't believe that he gave you this power. You aren't taking it. You aren't using your words to speak life. You're speaking what you have, what you see. You're confessing all of your death instead of speaking what the word of God has over you. And you just need to stir yourself up and recognize that you've got the power of God and get sick and tired of being sick and tired and just stand against it and say, I refuse to be this way. Amen. Most people will sit there, well, who do you think you are? I think I'm born again. I think I'm God possessed. I think that God Almighty has given me the same power that he used and he told me if I'd resist the devil, he'll flee from me. I'm not anybody in myself, but I'm not in myself. I'm in Christ and I'm not coming out. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I know that most of us in here, for you to be here on a Thursday night listening to me, you are not your nod to God crowd. You aren't the Sunday only Christian. You are looking for something more. You believe that there is something more to serving God than just spending an hour a week going to church and doing something. You are hungry to see the power of God. You want victory in your life. You believe that God can do it, but the average Christian is just pleading with God and wondering why he's not moving. God has already moved. He's put this power on the inside of you. And whether you like it or not, I'm giving you the answer. The answer isn't in pleading more, begging more, doing something like that, but instead it's finding out who you are and what you've got. That's the reason I said that this teaching on spirit, soul, and body changed my life when I found out who I was in my spirit. 
I only knew myself after the flesh. I only looked in a mirror and saw me the way that I am in the flesh. But now I don't see me that way anymore. I see me in Christ. And I can do things now that I couldn't do before. This just liberated me. It changed my life. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God's done His part. If you were born again, God Almighty lives on the inside of you. And not He didn't come in with just one little toe, just one foot. The fullness of the Godhead is in you bodily. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You, of His fullness have all we received. John chapter 1, verse 16. As He is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 17. And on and on the scriptures go. You and your spirit are identical to Jesus. Your spirit right now is the same spirit you will have throughout eternity. Your spirit's not going to be changed. It's not going to be given an extra dose of power. It's not going to grow up and mature and get full. Your spirit is perfect right now. It's got the fullness of God in it. But it's got to get through your mind and out through your body. I'm working on your mind tonight. Your little spirit is perfect if you're born again. There's nothing wrong with your heart. It's your head that's the problem. We've been taught the wrong things. We're believing the wrong things. But I'm telling you, God's already put this on the inside of you. Now you've got to take these truths that I was talking about and you've got to renew your mind. And you've got to start being bold and act on it and speak and do what the Word says. And if you will do this, take your authority and resist the devil the devil will flee from you and you can start seeing miracles happen. Amen. Satan is afraid of you because he knows what, who you really are. Most of us don't know who we really are. And so we just beg God as, oh God, I am nothing, I have nothing, I can do nothing, would you please move? That's, all, that's an insult to God. You aren't believing what he's done. You aren't believing what the word says. Very few Christians let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. I don't care what you say. This is what I believe. Well, you know what? God loves you. But you aren't going to see victory. There's people in here tonight that are resisting what I'm saying. And yet nothing's working for you. And yet you're just hanging on for dear life like I refuse to believe this. Well, if it's not working for you, why don't you at least entertain the thought that maybe something could be wrong with what you're believing? Until you see people raised from the dead, until you see the miraculous power of God, maybe you ought to trust somebody who is seeing the supernatural power of God and think that maybe what they're believing is better than what you're believing. That's right. If it's not working for you, why do you fight for it so strong? <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there needs to be an absolute revolution in the body of Christ where we start believing what the Word of God says rather than just religious traditions that are basically nothing but excuses for why the power of God's not operating. Yeah. Amen or oh me. <laughs> you know, if you aren't born again tonight, you must be born again. The first step is you've got to commit your life to Jesus because I've been talking to people who are Christians who've been born again. And the Bible says that when that happens, you become a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. That's not talking about your physical body. If you were a man before you get saved, you'll still be a man after you get saved. If you were a woman, you'll still be a woman. If you were short, you'll still be short. 
If you were fat, you'll still be fat. Your body does not change. And it's not talking about your mind and emotions either because if you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved. Your mind doesn't change. But when you get born again, your spirit changes and you become identical to Jesus because John chapter, or, uh, Romans chapter 8 says, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's Galatians 4, 6. But then in uh, Romans 8, it says, If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When you get born again, God sends the spirit of his son into your heart and you become just like Jesus in your spirit. If that has never happened to you, then you have to do that. This is not church attendance. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage and make you a car. If you're a car, you ought to get in a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, you ought to go to church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You must be born again. And if you've never been changed in your spirit, then all of the things that I've been talking about tonight don't apply to you. They can apply to you if you will make Jesus your Lord and if you'll receive His salvation. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.